Good morning. Um, I believe there's a picture. It's hard to find a picture. I told Christy, the more kids you have, the harder it is to find a picture um, that you will show people. So this is not a great picture, but it is my family from this summer. Um, my husband, Mac, and then oldest and I have a daughter, Mackenzie, that's 19, Stephen's 17. Aaron is 16. Jonathan is almost 14, and Joshua almost 11. They're getting close. So that was at a very large family um, vacation this summer at the beach. Um, so that is, Mackenzie is away at college, the other four are still home, and I homeschool the four of them. So life is busy. Um, but thank you for letting me um, share with you this morning. Um, I, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to stand up here and try to unpack Abraham's covenant with you. Um, I realized last week we covered 11 chapters of Genesis, sort of rapid fire, uh, mostly one and two. And this week, Christy gave me 39. So thanks, Christy. Um, but I truly think we could spend a year in Genesis just unpacking all that is in there and the gifts that are there. But hopefully today is we'll get a glimpse, a little glimpse into the tapestry that I believe God starts to weave in Scripture in Genesis as these chapters unfold, and it really establishes the foundation of our faith. So we were reminded at the beginning of Genesis that this book is not about God, excuse me, not about us, but it's about God, right? Um, Christy talked about that last week. And we'll see this morning, I think, that God uses his names to gradually reveal <clears throat> to man who he is. Um, I know you noticed in your lesson this week that we looked at different names of God. Either you were to dig into them or they were just off to the side in your lesson. We are not going to cover all of them. There are so many names of God just in Genesis alone that we see God uncover um, who he is for us. But last week, in your opening devotional was by Carolyn Hughes, and I don't know if you noticed these questions or not, but the first one was, is understanding required for believing? And then there was a statement, obedience is simple, it is definitely not easy. And these two, this question and this statement, I really believe that we see them um, through Abraham's life. I think we see the question answered, I think we see the statement lived out, so as we begin this week, we're going to look at how God called Abraham out of Haran. He told him to leave his family, his belongings. Well, actually, he didn't leave his belongings. He took his belongings. He took his belongings. He left his family. He left the country that he knew. People went with him. Family went with him. I recognize that. But he left all that behind. Um, and he promised that he would show Abraham the land that he would take him to. He didn't tell them the land, but he told him that he would show them. So as we looked at this passage in Genesis 12, the Lord said, now I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, bless those who bless you, and curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And finally, at the beginning, he told them that he would give them a land. But again, he didn't tell them where that land was. He just told Abraham to go. Now, I, um, I can't imagine. I can't imagine the Lord saying that to me. And then I cannot imagine responding the way Abraham responded. And that's what we see in verse 4. The scripture tells us, So Abraham went forth and the Lord, as the Lord had spoken to him. Now he was 75. He had no children. And God has just given him all these promises. But Abraham heard his voice and confident in that, he just obeyed the Lord. I would have had a list. 
of questions. <laughs> and I would have gone through them one by one with the Lord before I had taken one step, I think. I'm amazed by his obedience when he hears God's voice. Um, but I think we could all agree that this was an obeying with very limited knowledge. This didn't tell him much. Um, it, it told him a lot and it told him very little. And so that's how Abraham walked forward. Um, Andrew Jukes, in this quote from the Names of God, says, We cannot yet see the things of heaven. God therefore reveals them as we can bear it, with the accuracy of one who sees them as they are, and in a way in which they must be seen and understood by us. Just want you to sit and look at that for just a minute. I think that is amazing to recognize that the God who sees all also understands so clearly that we cannot. And he knew Abraham couldn't see. But who was this God that called Abraham out of Ur? Um, in Genesis 1, God uses the name Elohim to reveal himself. It's used over 20 times just in the first chapter of Genesis. And this name shows us that God is mighty, and he's all-powerful, that he's a creator. He's the sovereign ruler over all. This is the God that says, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. So when you look at that name Elohim, El indicates might or strength. And then the Him portion of that name makes it a plural noun. So in a sense, it says, in the beginning, gods created. So from the very beginning, we saw the triune God in the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit show up in the very first words of Scripture for us. And in that is a beautiful picture, isn't it, of a covenant. And so here, right from the beginning, I believe we see this covenant-keeping God. Now, he hasn't made a covenant with man yet at this point, and he will. He will cut that covenant with man. We'll see it with Abraham, and we saw it with Noah, if you looked into that at all. But here we see it in the three-in-one, the three that he is this covenant-keeping God. Now, as Abraham moves on, he will learn all many other names of God. God will reveal himself through those names. But when we move into Genesis 2, God comes onto the scene as Jehovah. And this is an, a name that is used over 6,000 times in the Old Testament. Obviously, God wanted us to learn something about Jehovah, which is also listed as Yahweh, is the same. And in this, we see that the, he is God, is Lord. He is a self-existent one. He is the great I Am that we learn about in Scripture. Now, Jehovah demands righteousness, he demands justice. He demands holiness. We see that as we walk through Genesis. We see that as we walk through the Old Testament. Last week, we looked at Genesis 6 through 9 and the flood. And in that, we saw that God looked upon the wicked and the corrupt and the earth, and his heart was broken. And this is what he said. He said, every intent of the thoughts of man's heart are evil continually. And the scripture tells us that the Lord is sorry and grieved in his heart, and he's proclaiming that he's going to blot out man. But that love is what caused him to grieve, to sorrow, and ultimately to sacrifice, right, for our sins. Um, Jeremiah tells us of this Jehovah in this way. He says, I, Jehovah, have loved thee with an everlasting love. So he is equally Jehovah and Elohim. So Jehovah must judge sin, but he is this Elohim who loves us unforsakenly, this covenant-keeping God that we've already seen from the very first verse of Genesis. So what is it about those revelations of seeing God as Elohim and seeing God as Jehovah 
that I find fascinating, I hope maybe you did, about Abraham's obedience and ultimately his belief. I think we get a clue in Scripture in Exodus. This passage in Exodus is the chapter just preceding this in Exodus 5 is when Moses goes to Pharaoh and asks to leave and go into the wilderness and worship. And Pharaoh says no. Um, and in this, in that passage in Exodus 5, Pharaoh asks, actually asks the question, who is this Lord that I should obey his voice? And obviously the plight of the Israelites increases at that point, right? He adds to their, to their work, to their labor. And Moses goes to the Lord and he asks the Lord, what's going on? <laughs> you know, what are you doing? And this is the Lord's reply. He says, God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord, Jehovah, and I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. El Shaddai, but my name, Lord Jehovah, I did not make, my, by that name, I did not make myself known to them. I don't know exactly what God intended in all of this, these two verses, but I find it fascinating that God says, I've shown him, I've shown these, the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, myself, as God Almighty, and El Shaddai that we'll talk about in just a minute, but I actually didn't make myself known as Lord Jehovah. I don't understand that fully. I want to ask the Lord, what do you mean by that? <laughs> when we see his name used like that through Genesis. But what I do take away from it is that God spoke to Abraham, sorry, God spoke to Abraham as Elohim, as his creator. That is what God knew, excuse me, that is what Abraham knew of God when he took that step in Genesis 12, when he took that step of faith. He didn't need to know it all. God showed him exactly what he needed to show him of himself for Abraham to take that next step. So he later will see him as El Shaddai and will learn that is that is a mighty way to recognize who God was for Abraham. But that's all it took at that point for God to call upon the name of, of excuse me, for Abraham to call upon the name of the Lord. So we talked, you looked at that a little bit in your lesson this week. What does it mean? What does it mean to call upon the name of the Lord? Um, I thought about that a little bit, and I thought, you know, it's easy. It's easy for me to call out to somebody across the way and use their name. But that is a very different calling out than when you call your best friend or your spouse or your sibling, right? Those are the people that you call to when you're physically or emotionally in need, when you think about those people in your life. Because it's different. That knowing of someone, as opposed to knowing the name of the person that's going to hand me my dinner on Wednesday night, that is a different knowing. It's an intimate knowing. And that was the way I believe that Abraham started to call upon the Lord at this point. Now, I think that is hard for us to um, understand sometimes when we're looking at God. And so for me, I wanted to like, take a minute and just have us look at David. So we know David in Scripture as a man after God's own heart. How else do you know David? You can answer out loud. A shepherd, a warrior, a king, a psalmist, a sinner. I put that one down too, a sinner, <laughs> just like us. All those things, a musician, a giant slayer. He's all these things, right? So we learn those things about David in the Old Testament as we read about him. But it's those attributes that are attached to those different names that we start to get a picture of who David is. 
And boy, don't we read David all the time when we're in a hard place. Don't we go back to his Psalms where he poured out his heart before the Lord. So it's the same with the Lord. As we get to know him in his attributes and his image, we know him in a deeper way. So we are linked to that image I see in Scripture. Genesis 1.27 tells us that we are made in the image of God. Abraham was made in the image of God. It's undeniable that there is something inside of us that connects us to our Creator, whether we call upon His name or not. And that, that image that we, that we bear, as we know Him, I really truly believe that our ability to call on Him is linked and limited by our knowledge of Him. And I think that is part of the amazing part, excuse me, the amazing part of seeing when God called Abraham. So he called him when he really knew who he was as Elohim. He called him out of a land where he was worshiping other gods, and he carried him each step of the way. He didn't call him after he reckoned his righteousness. He didn't call him after he changed his name. He called him first, and then he did a work in Abraham's life over time. So this revealing, again, is this gradual revealing that he gave to Abraham that he also gives to us. That original faith of Abraham, I believe, took that little tiny mustard seed, and that was all. The same one that the Lord tells us that we need to have in faith. And that began Abraham's journey, which untold blessings for us that come out of that journey, and I think we've seen that this week. So did he have trials, tests? Lots. (laughs) He had lots of trials and tests. Um, But in that, God would reveal to him, I think sometimes we misplace what we see. I don't believe that God put Abraham through those things to reveal to us or to reveal to Abraham his faith, but to reveal God's faithfulness. Yes, we see Abraham as a man of great faith, but it's really, like Christy said last week, a story of God's faithfulness through all of that. So what are the benefits of us knowing the Lord, knowing his name, understanding who he is? Well, I believe one place we see that is in Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2. This scripture says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I say to the Lord, Jehovah, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. I love the word dwell. Dwell is not just visiting somebody every now and then. Dwell is going and staying, abiding with, making it your abode, as we see in this word later in in the passage of abiding in the shadow of of the Almighty, What an amazing thought that the Lord invites us in to dwell in his shelter all the time. And with that, we receive this covering of his shadow that we abide under. And they're just gifts. They're just gifts that the Lord hands to us like he did to Abraham. I believe it's out of that you can read the second half of this passage and claim it. I will say to the Lord, you are my refuge, you are my strength, you are my God in whom I trust. And that trust comes in that continual, gradual knowledge that is revealed to us of him. And then this other verse that I just think is beautiful for us to look at. But the people who know their God will display strength and take action in Daniel 11.32. As we know him, he creates in us this greater and greater ability to display strength and take action. I truly believe we live in a time that we're going to be called upon 
if we choose to claim the name of Jesus Christ, to display strength, and to take action. Um, this verse is a beautiful assurance to me that as we get to know him more and more and more, he will equip me with greater strength to be able to stand firm and to, to take action. And, you know, Abraham has these promises, right, of the generation after generation after generation that his promises would pass on to. And I'm sure at times he had to have questioned that. He had to have looked out and seen what seemed impossible or seemed a disaster <laughs> and wondered how that would pass on. And yet, again, we can do the same, can't we? Can't we look down? I mean, I look at my children that were up there earlier, and I wonder, what am I leaving them to, Lord? <laughs> what am I preparing them for? And there's such promise in these scriptures that he is with us and he will equip us. And so I love that, that the more you know him, the more you understand him, and the stronger you can stand. And finally, there are places all over scripture where we see the name of the Lord called upon. But I love that if we look into Matthew, Matthew 6, um, Luke 11, that Jesus, when he teaches his disciples to pray, and they say, how, Lord, how do we pray? He starts with telling them to hallow the name of the Father. And what a gift for us as we continue to learn more and more of what that means, what is his name, what do we learn about him that we have more opportunity to praise him. The more I know of him, the more I can pour back, the more I can give back to him in my praise. What a beautiful picture from the Lord for us. Um, I did not put this scripture up here, and I really wanted to read through the whole thing with you, but you probably would have all left. So Psalm 116, I just want to encourage you to take some time today. Play it in your car on the way home. Read through it. It is a beautiful scripture where there is a remembering of who God is and calling on the name of the Lord the psalmist does there. And I just, I think it's worth taking a minute to read and stop and reflect on who the Lord is. Nathan Stone in the Names of God says, we can only enjoy God to the degree that we know him. Little knowledge translates into little spiritual power or life. Learning about God's names and titles offers us a fresh way of encountering God and sensing his presence in our lives. The greater our knowledge of him, the greater our joy. And don't we know that in his presence is fullness of joy? <clears throat> now, let's move into Genesis 15 together. Excuse me. <clears throat> and we'll see something at the beginning. I hope you saw it in your lesson that I loved watching as Genesis unfolded. And that was that the Lord came to Abraham, didn't he? He came to Abraham in 12. He came to Abraham in 15. He came to Abraham in 17. It wasn't Abraham actually seeking the Lord out in all those times, but the Lord anticipating what Abraham needed. So time has passed since that initial promise. There is still no child. Abraham certainly has to be asked, wondering some things, but God graciously comes to him and says, don't fear. I am your shield. I am with you. And what does Abraham do? He asks a question, doesn't he? I would have asked probably long before now. <laughs> I'm really impressed with Abraham's patience. But um, he says, what will you give me? And God tells him, I will give you an heir. But then he takes him and he gives him this glimpse of the magnitude of his promise. He unfolds a little bit more in a really powerful way, in my opinion. So this is how I imagine that scene when God takes Abraham out to see the night sky. I think 
my husband's family has a farm in Arkansas, and it's dark. You know, you get there, and it's dark, and there are no street lights, and it's quiet, and it's amazing. And when you walk away from the city lights and the noise and the buzz and a clear night, and you look up into the sky, and you see an explosion of stars, don't you? And it's breathtaking, and it draws us in. For a lot of us, it causes us to worship. I think to myself, that's what God did. He walked Abraham outside, and he saw this beauty. And last week, and I should give a shout-out to Catherine Hickey because she pointed this out in our lesson last week, and it just was mind-blowing to me this week. In Genesis 1.16, after God makes the greater lights, he sa- it says, and he made the stars also. And I was like, wow, Lord, you took that? You took the like afterthought lights to show Abraham what, <laughs> what it would look like? You know, and I just, I hope that maybe the next time we look up into that sky, it's a little harder to see in Memphis sometimes, and we see that explosion of stars, that we will be reminded not just of the magnitude of God's creation, but the magnitude of his promises to us. That wherever we are, whatever we're going through, his promises never fail, and he showed it to Abraham in this amazing way. And yet Abraham still knew very little, didn't he? He still didn't know very much of what was coming. So I should have put a picture of stars up there for you. But Abraham asks a question, and then he gets an answer. That answer might have confused him a bit more, the stars in the sky, I think. And yet, it is right here in the Bible that God chooses to reveal the beautiful simplicity of the gospel message, of the gift of salvation. He says, then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Again, what do we see? This limited understanding, and yet a belief on Abraham's part. So stop and look at that. Believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. There was no action on Abraham's part. Because righteousness is linked to believing alone, to nothing else. And I think that is, there's a lot of years of faith represented in this room. I have no idea how many, but I'm sure it's in... I don't know. It's a lot. (laughs) And we can muddy the waters on what believing means. We can muddy the waters on what it means to believe in the Lord of Jesus Christ and for him to reckon it to us as righteousness. And I am so grateful that God states it so simply, and then he continues to state it so simply throughout his word for us. Um, Now, I do think that God was anticipating that Abram would probably have another question. And um, in the very next verse, before Abraham does ask the question, God says to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. Just a reminder, I've done this, I've shown you this, I've still got it, and Abraham says what I would have said. How? How will I know, God? Because I don't have that much faith. I just have that mustard seed of faith. And at that point, God proceeds to cut the covenant with Abraham. That um, we are not going to actually go into a lot of detail on this morning. I hope you talked about it in your small group. But but if nothing else, I hope you saw this week that God cut the covenant with Abraham. 
God initiated. God did the work. God made the promise. And it was right in between these two questions that Abraham had that God reckoned it to him as righteousness. And we need to sit in that and recognize it's that simple for us. It's just the belief. So Galatians, um, that you looked at in your study this week twice, (laughs) um, tells us how we are grafted in to this same simple belief. So bear with me because I'm going to read some of this, maybe all of it, this morning. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? How many times could we be those foolish Galatians that are asking these same questions, that are questioning these same things in God? And so what does he say? Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to, to preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. I never noticed that Galatians passage ended with Abraham the believer until this week. And I was overwhelmed by those last three words. And the beauty in that that he set him up as that, and he has given us this same promise, that we are grafted into the same simplicity of righteousness in Jesus Christ. And I'm grateful, very, very grateful. <clears throat> so my question to us is, what do we add on? What do we add on to believing in the Lord Jesus Christ? And what do we need to lay down and stop striving after? Now, I know we did not talk about Genesis 16, Oh, you didn't read it. it. It was in your lesson just a little bit. Um, but I know that we did not talk about it. But we do see that Abraham was not blameless and did not always trust completely blindly. Would you agree? So in 16, we see Hagar and Ishmael. We see other places where he steps in and tries to take th- care of things with Sarah. All the things I would have done because I'm a fixer. Oh, I shouldn't say I'm a fixer. I'm a control freak probably a little bit. My sister's sitting over here. We won't let her talk. Um, I like to have it just so. And so I would have um, I would have wanted to take matters into my own hands for sure. Um, but the Lord was faithful, right, with Abraham. He pursues him again after chapter 16. After all this with Hagar and Ishmael, we come back to the beginning in chapter in 17. Oops, sorry. Let me move it forward for y'all. There we go. And we see this passage. Now, he's 99. Does he have a child yet? No, he still does not have an heir. He is 99. He still does not have an heir. And God comes to him and he says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. He goes straight in and reminds Abraham of who I am. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be 
um, blameless. And this is what I hope you noticed in this passage. I will establish my covenant. I will multiply you exceedingly. I have made you. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you. I will give to you and to your descendants. I will be their God. Again, it is the Lord just pursuing and pursuing and reminding and reminding that it is my work. This is my work, and you get to be part of it. I get to be part of it. Trust me in this. So this name that we see for the first time in Scripture in um, Genesis 17, I am God Almighty. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. It's an everlasting covenant. There you go. Don't forget that. That's important in <laughs> 17. <laughs> is El Shaddai. This is a beautiful name. They're all beautiful. I know I've probably said that over and over, but this beautiful name in Scripture that occurs right here, again, we see the name El. We see the might. We see the strength, the same one that we saw in Elohim, who was the creator. But now it's coupled with this word Shaddai. <clears throat> now, Shaddai can be rendered power of all bountifulness, breasted the poorer or the shedder forth. Not all words we use on a daily basis. Um, but it is a beauty. We see this beauty that is displayed in this unique combination of God's strength and power and his control and his love. So this poor forth of life. Um, if you think about a nursing mother, you think about the rain that waters the earth, both of those things bring life, don't they? They bring life, and they are powerful. But we also know that if rain is not controlled, it is destructive, is it not? So it is this poor forth of life. They both give that life, and that is what God gives here. He tells Abraham, this is who I am. I am all sufficient for all your needs. I am the almighty God. Now, I see God revealing this to Abraham, this powerful giver of life that keeps offering Abraham grace upon grace upon grace, doesn't he? Even in his failures, <clears throat> And he sees fit to reveal, Abraham, reveal to Abraham at this point who he is through this name. And he is getting ready to walk into a, a new time. He's going to have the birth of this child who has not come yet. And then there will be a lot of struggles between them. And then there will be what I would say an ultimate test for Abraham that is yet to come. But God is reminding him at this point of who he is as this almighty God fully in control, and that he will reveal more of himself to Abraham when he is ready, and he knows Abraham is ready to receive it, to continue to sanctify Abraham. <clears throat> There's another quote I really loved by Andrew Jukes that says, when God first speaks, men rarely, if ever, fully understand him. It is only by degrees, and just in proportion as his servants and disciples treasure up his words and seek to obey him that those words often very slowly open to them. And so with the names of God. Though even yet little understood, from the beginning they have been telling what God's faithfulness is. <clears throat> and through his grace, telling it in such ways and in such measures as fallen men were able to receive and profit by it. So the Lord knows that we can only understand a little at a time. I truly believe. He only gives us as much as we can handle, as Scripture tells us, and he continues to reveal himself and give us more and more of what we see. You know, this morning um, we had a discussion that it's kind of like when God took Abraham in Genesis 12 and he gave him 
these four, or some of you may have had five points in the beginning of Genesis 12, I know. <laughs> um, it's, when he gave them those, they were very limited. It was a very limited view, wasn't it? It was probably still very overwhelming to Abraham because I can't even imagine what he thought about each one of those things. But we see as we move through Genesis, the Lord sort of opens that aperture, doesn't he? And he gives him more of the picture and more of the picture and more of it. He's not going to give us the full picture. We know that until we see him in glory. But it is this gradual revealing to us as believers. So I believe this knowing um, for Abraham at this point of this understanding of God Almighty is because God knew this great test was coming before him, this willingness to sacrifice Isaac his only son, because he knew God as El Shaddai. He knew that he was going to be the God Almighty. So just as God calls Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans, he calls us out of the bondage of sin, doesn't he? And he offers to us that if we will only believe, if we will only hear the call of the Lord and answer, that then he will walk with us but he reckons to us at that point before we have so much more understanding this gift of righteousness. And I wish, how I wish we had time to dig into Genesis 22 and the story of Isaac. Um, I know we just touched on it in the lesson this week, but I would encourage you, if you did not spend time reading chapter 22 of Genesis, we could do a whole lot of weeks on Genesis 22. But to just read it again and stop and think about the parallels. If you didn't see the parallels to Jesus that were talked about, to go back and look at that. Um, Because I'm amazed by these simple things. He rose early in the morning after God told him to sacrifice Isaac, the son, his only son whom he loved. And on the third day, Abraham would look up and he would see the place that he was to take Isaac to sacrifice him. And then he would place wood upon Isaac's back that he would carry to the altar, for the altar. It's reminiscent of what we see our Savior do, is it not? And yet, Abraham would tell his servants, the boy and I will return to you. What amazing faith. I don't think Abraham had that faith in chapter 12. God had not grown him to that place and shown him that faithfulness yet to where Abraham maybe would not have been able to say that. But at this point, he says, the boy and I will go and return because God will provide. Jehovah Jireh will provide. And that is where Abraham gives God that name in the scriptures. So Abraham had come to know the faithfulness of God. I believe through his character, his attributes. Those were revealing things to Abraham. He revealed who he was through that. Abraham was not willing to put created things in place of the creator. He was not willing to put created things in the place of the creator, not even Isaac. I believe the day will come that we'll be called to lay down our Isaac, just as Abraham did. And I just pray that we may know our God in a way that we can walk confidently in that place and worship. Thank you, ladies. I'm going to sing the doxology after she turns my... Thing off. <laughs> so if you can stand with us, um, is it up there?